Welcome to Outspoken, a podcast for social change, where we talk about current events and how they relate to interpersonal violence and abuse. Outspoken is a project of the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center located in San Marcos, Texas. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse and is seeking support, services, or needs more information, links to resources can be found in our episode description. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the views of their organizations or affiliates. Welcome back to Outspoken, a podcast for social change. I'm Megan. I'm Hema. I'm Nathan. And I'm Kiara. If you listened to us before, you've noticed that we usually take a self-compassion break during each episode, but this episode will be different because this entire episode will be about self-compassion, what self-compassion is, what it's not, our own personal experiences that uh, we've had when we've practiced self-compassion, and also how it's connected to social change. For me, like, this was something that was a very new concept for me that I had not heard of until I started working for HCWC. And it, I will say it's been transformational. It's been, it's made a really big difference in improving uh, just how I conduct myself day to day. Like me I, too. yeah, like I used to think that I was very, um, that I like needed to shame myself to be motivated. And that's something that I had to, that I really unlearned honestly, when I first, or I'm, I guess always trying to unlearn when I first heard this concept of self-compassion and PR, especially, you know, you've been with the agency for so long. I know that you have a lot more background on self-compassion than I do. And I specifically from you have learned a lot, like just in our interactions, I love to say. So thank you for that. Um, So I don't know. I thought maybe you could like give us a little background and the history of what self-compassion is and how it came to our agency. Yeah. I guess before we get into how what self-compassion is, how it got to our agency, we'll start with a thought exercise. Uh, I've been with HCWC for eight years now. I can't believe it's already been eight years. But (laughs) my introduction to self-compassion was somebody doing this thought exercise with me. And in addition to us doing talking about self-compassion in this podcast, we also do presentations and workshops out in the community. Uh, We do self-compassion activities with youth in schools. We do it at our local libraries. And we usually start with this exercise because I feel like it does a pretty good job at explaining and demonstrating what self-compassion is and why it's so important. Uh, So I'll do the activity with the three of y'all. I know you've already done it before, but we'll lean into the exercise. And then maybe after that, we can share a little bit about what it was like to do the exercise or even what it's like to do the exercise today, because you may have a similar or different experience than when you first did it the first time that you did it. Um, So yeah, getting started. uh, And I'll ask whoever is listening, follow along. You can do this exercise yourself as well. Uh, and then just reflect on your own or let us know what the exercise was like for you on social media. So to get started, think of a time when somebody that you really care about is struggling in some way. They messed up on something or they something didn't turn out the way that they wanted it to. And then picture this person coming to you and they're really upset and they need some kind of support. What would you say to them? So we'll pause for a second. Think of a person that you really care about, they're struggling in some way, things didn't go well, maybe they failed at something and they need some support. Okay, so 
Uh, moving on to the next part of the exercise. Now it'll be, think of a time when you yourself are struggling. So the same exact situation of this person that you care about that you were just thinking about and put yourself in their shoes and you mess up on something, something didn't go the way that you wanted it to. And now think of the things that you say to yourself internally in your head. Do y'all notice a difference between like what you would say to somebody else out loud or what you would say in your head? Usually it probably depends on the person, but this is somebody that you care about and you're trying to support. So what is the difference or either now or the first time you did the exercise? Yeah, I think the first time I did this exercise, it was a a real light bulb moment for me because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, it really put it under like a light how much more difficult I am with myself and not not practicing self-kindness for sure because I know whenever I go through difficult times it's I, I usually put the burden on myself versus whenever I talk to someone else I almost never put the burden on them you know so that's that was really uh enlightening for me Right. It's easier to look at a friend's circumstances and be like, man, these are really hard circumstances. But for some reason, like when it's myself, I'm like, look what you did. Like it's <laughs> it's no longer my circumstances. It's me somehow manifesting something horrible for myself and and how I can fix it, you know, whereas I would never like even think that way towards a friend, like towards a friend. I, I can clearly see that it was just some circumstances that happened and they're amazing, you know? And, uh, yeah, for me as well, it was a huge light bulb moment. Cause I was like, wow, I, I used to think something that was like, I didn't even think, I mean, something that just was the way I thought. And then that really challenged it to like, wow, how is it okay for me to treat myself this way when I would never treat another person this way? I know, um, when we first did this exercise, I felt like so called out. I was like, Kira, you did not just do this to me right now. I think I remember the group of students and I was like, oh man, I got to keep my cool. But um, yeah, it was like crazy. I never realized how, I guess, um, mean and strict I am with myself as, you know, with someone else, especially with like friends. I'm always trying to make them comfortable or just be like, hey, um, it's okay that you're feeling this way, but let's just, you know, let me just your favorite snack, your favorite music, here, have some funny TikToks or something. And then with myself, it's just kind of like an I told you so moment or like, you know better, things like that. But yeah, I felt super called out. (laughs) Yeah, I felt the same way the first time I did the activity. It's so easy to say something kind to other people or do something nice for them. And then when it came to myself, it was, especially in college, I was really good at the shame spiral of I'm, if this If I failed at this, then it means I'm going to fail at the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Um, And being not nice to myself was what sort of pushed me through. Almost like that tough love that people want other people to, that they give to them sometimes. Mm -hmm. I was really good at doing that to myself. And I think a lot of people are. When we do this activity out in the community, we hear a lot of the same things. People saying that like, I'm a lot nicer to other people than I am to myself, which is so sad to hear. Because uh, the way that I explain it to other people is we are the only ones that have to spend 24 hours a day with ourselves for the most part. Might as well enjoy ourselves. Um, and it mirrors the work that we do with healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships that if we were to take some of that critical negative self-talk 
and say those things verbally out loud to somebody else, it's probably not going to be a healthy interaction or a healthy relationship or it might even border on emotional abuse. And we are very mindful of the fact that we don't want to do that to other people, but yet we're so readily um, comfortable with doing that to ourselves. So, so true. Yeah, right. So this whole activity <laughs> is to highlight the idea of trying to change that inner critical self-talk, the shame or whatever it is that comes up and trying to motivate everybody to treat yourself the way that you would treat somebody that you love and care about, especially in moments of like struggling or failure uh, or just going through a hard time in general. And self-compassion is one of the tools that we use to do that. So with that being said, I'll go into what does it look like to practice self-compassion? What are the three components? Because there are three components to self-compassion. And then I'll talk a little bit about how we ended up practicing it at the organization that we work for. Because as Megan said in the introduction, it's something that we have adopted within our organization as a practice. And I think it's something that we also had mentioned in the first episode and highlighted why we do self-compassion breaks and why it's so vital to not only doing the work of healthy relationships work, but social change work as well. So to give a little bit of background, uh, self-compassion, it's not a new concept, but one of the leading pioneer researchers for that is Dr. Kristen Neff, who is a professor at UT Austin. So we've got another local Texas (laughs) source, um, But she was kind of one of the driving forces for getting self-compassion out there and getting people more talking about it uh, in those three different components of self-compassion. The first one being mindfulness, which I think has been a pretty hot topic in the past couple of years that people are Mm -hmm. trying to be more mindful of how they're feeling and getting into a mindfulness practice. So that may be something that's new for you as a listener, or maybe it's something that you're already pretty familiar with. But if you're not familiar with it, mindfulness is the idea of just being mindful of your feelings, sitting with how you're feeling and acknowledging them without judgment, which is very much easier said than done to, especially if it's a negative or uncomfortable feeling, it's pretty common or normal for people to want to not sit with that negative feeling because it doesn't feel good. You kind of just want to move past it or bury it down or just forget about it. But The mindfulness within self-compassion really encourages people to sit with how they're feeling and acknowledge those feelings um, because these feelings are a part of life. Uh, There's good with bad, and uh, it's important that we kind of sit and be able to identify how we're feeling too. And in that process, the other, another component of self-compassion is self-kindness, which is what it sounds like. It's showing yourself kindness and ideally hopefully the same kind of kindness that you're showing to other people Um, and it can start with just recognizing that people don't have it together all the time nobody's perfect and just finding the way to show yourself kindness in those moments of difficulty or struggling Um, whether that's changing the language that you use towards yourself mentally in your head which is a great place to start or it could be a very outward metaphor Uh, I guess, like manifestation or practice of showing yourself kindness of doing something that's just going to comfort you in that moment. Sometimes it's like wrapping your arms around each other yourself and giving yourself a hug or 
Uh, it kind of mirrors some of those self-care actions that I think a lot of people um, are familiar with of like taking a bath or whatever it is that's just going for a run to help clear your head, whatever it is to help you to remind yourself like to just be kind to yourself in this moment and it's okay how you're feeling and sometimes those feelings and emotions are going to be tough, which connects to the last piece of self-compassion or one of the last components, which is common humanity. And that reminds us that we are not alone. And a lot of these experiences that we're having are just human experiences. As I mentioned, like there's good with the bad and that's just part of the human condition and being a human being. You're not the first person to feel this way or to have this experience and you're definitely not going to be the last. And some people find comfort in that. Some people don't find comfort in that. I think if we're being honest, because sometimes it's like, I know that other people have this experience, but it doesn't comfort me in this moment as I'm personally experiencing it. But it also reminds you that like, if you need some support or you need some guidance or something that there's a good chance that there's somebody out there who's had that experience that can offer that support or offer that guidance, or it can come within you, right? You can give that to yourself. Mm -hmm. So those three main components um, that I kind of breeze through. Uh, we'll put it in the episode description, uh, Dr. Kristen Neff's website about self-compassion. So if you're interested or you want to learn more or you want to figure out what you can do to get started with your own self-compassion practice, it's a very good place to start. And it's actually almost a little bit of where we started when the organization that we work for adopted self-compassion as a practice many, many years ago. Um, as I mentioned, I've been there for about eight years. And I think it was before, it was definitely before I started working there. So it's been at least 10 years that our organization has been practicing self-compassion. And as I mentioned, uh, Dr. Kristen Neff is located here in Texas. And some of the counselors uh, where we work, they went and they saw Dr. Kristen Neff speak and they learned more about self-compassion. And they thought that it'd be a really beneficial practice to bring back and share with the clients that they serve, especially for people who've experienced um, abuse in relationships or even outside of relationships that, um, as we've talked about in other episodes with victim blaming and other societal things that make it to where people who've experienced abuse can be really hard on themselves or blame mm -hmm. themselves for what's happening to them because other people are blaming them. Trying to introduce elements of being more compassionate and kind to yourself can be a very helpful practice. So the counselor's took that uh, practice, tried to bring it back to HCWC, and they did. And in the, the process of trying to share it with clients, they noticed that we could also benefit from this too as individuals, that you don't have to experience violence or abuse or trauma to benefit from self-compassion. And what they did was they took Dr. Kristen Neff's book and they started a book club at HCWC, and it's grown into something a lot bigger. Uh, that book went on to move on to other books. That book club grew. We've moved on to doing self-compassion activities. It's become a practice in our organization where now other people try to remind each other to be self-compassionate. Like if your critical self-talk makes it out of your brain and out of your mouth mm -hmm. um, and other people hear it, I think uh, people are pretty good at holding each other accountable of like, hey, practice self-compassion, that it's okay. Um, and that's another piece of that common humanity. It's kind of nice to have it in practice. So yeah, that's how we ended up where we are here. And I'm just really excited to 
share it on this episode. We get to do it in bits and pieces on our other episodes, but it's been, as Megan mentioned in the introduction, such a really helpful practice and it's not easy. That's why they call it a practice because it's something that you do every day. But over time, I feel like it really has changed the negative self-talk that I have in my head. Um, And it's really helped me to just feel better as a human being, which is something I think we all need. So, Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Thanks, Kiara. That was a really well, like a good way to, to put it and to lay it out. I think you just touched on it, but it's, it's one thing to recognize and talk about self-compassion and, you know, the three pillars of self-compassion. I think the difficult part is actually practicing it when we're going through a difficult situation mm-hmm. or when we failed, because when we fail or we're going through something difficult, those, uh, those negative thought processes and thought cycles just come up and it's it's like it's an almost natural it's something that we've created so that's why like you said it's not easy but it is a practice it's something that we uh you know have to practice on a daily basis and sometimes it's easy to start with with little things because it's not it's not really going to be as difficult to start by let's say you burnt your food <laughs> or uh, you know when you were cooking or something and then it's just a an opportunity to practice that i know that i still struggle with it you know and i've been i've been here for 3 years and went like i th- i probably did that thought uh experiment around you know one of the first few months that i worked here and i've been trying to practice it ever since so i'm just going to kind of go through my process with it and then i'll you know ask y'all how how y'all deal with it uh so first i i usually try and practice mindfulness Uh, i think the the biggest thing is slowing down slowing down my mind and and escaping from like the speed of the emotions that are going through when i'm going through something difficult just to slow down and just try and be mindful of my situation, listen to myself. And usually just that in itself will help me break the, uh, the negative thought cycle. And then usually from there, once I'm, uh, in a centered place with my mind, I'll, I'll go to the, uh, common humanity and I'll remember that the difficulty that I'm going through is something that everyone goes through. And that kind of further, de-escalates the negativity from my mind and it just reminds me that I'm not alone that people go through this and it's it's kind of and just in that it kind of brings up uh brings up some gratitude and then that's the only if I've gone through those two things I can go to the self-kindness piece it's like okay I'm calm everyone's going through this and now with that information I can you know, I can, I can say the positive things to myself. I can get into that, go from the negativity to a a positive. And actually it, it uh, inspires me and gives me motivated to not only stop the negative thoughts, but to move towards what I do want and move towards a, a, a more positive situation. So that's my individual experience. If, if any, y'all want to talk about yours. I actually really love that you shared that 
the two pieces of mindfulness and common humanity or what help you with getting to the self-kindness part that sometimes it feels like with the idea of it literally being self-compassion, the idea of being kinder to yourself, it feels like maybe that's the place that you need to start, but it doesn't always have to be that way. And I like that those are other things that support you to getting to the part that you said is um, a little bit more difficult for you. I agree. I think that's kind of how it is for me too. And I, and I, when you were talking about like the, you know, lonely, the common humanity piece, it made me think of how so often we struggle or suffer alone um, because we usually are only seeing, we're usually sharing like the good things with other people. Right. So struggling with something or making a mistake can be a very lonely place to be and which can contribute to like feelings of shame and feeling really, you know, feeling worse about a situation. But that's why I find personally the common humanity helps so much is to think like, like, wait, no, like uh, we struggle together. Like struggle isn't like a a lonely process. Like struggle is a part of the, this human experience and that, and I, and it's, uh, it's like, humbling you know because to think to think that like you're never going to struggle or you're not going to make mistakes is like what you think you're not a human being like to be a human is to like struggle and make mistakes so like you're just going to like hate yourself for being human like you're not you're going to be like mad at yourself for being like for not being a superhero like that doesn't when you start thinking of it that way or at least when I do it's like okay like calm down we're not robots (laughs) it's it's okay you know (laughs) yeah exactly like I'm not we're not robots um and like in Nathan when you were talking about like burning the food (laughs) one of my (laughs) this is like this is going to be like a pretty you know it's going to seem really minor but like one of my like stories that I always remember where I was really like wow self-compassion really helps us I really hate being late like um, it, it just, I get like really mad at myself when I, or I, I guess I should say I used to like get really, really mad at myself when I'd be late. And I would just like have this, like, oh my gosh, you're late, like shame spiral, like on my way to wherever I was going. And one time I noticed myself doing that. Right. So like, that's my mindful piece. Like my brain actually for the first time ever, like clicked and was like, what are you doing? And then, uh, and then that was like, people are late. Like traffic exists. There's things happening that right. are beyond my control. Like no one's going to care as much as you're caring right now. Like, and uh, and then that led me to be like kind to myself. So like almost the exact you know kind of way you just described it, Nathan, is like that's how it works for me too. Is like I have to kind of stop myself in my tracks and be like, what are you doing? This is a human experience. Mm-hmm. And then I just it's like relief. It's like wow. Like why? Like and then I realize. How and that's why it's so transformational because so much of it is just like my own thoughts uh, and getting in my own head uh, instead of just being kind to myself in the moment and realizing like, hey, like we're all connected here. Like there's no reason to be alone and feel like I have to struggle like this when no one cares as much as I do and I'm making a big deal of nothing. <laughs> like being yeah. five minutes late and then I got there and they're like, oh hey, they're like no one even cared. <laughs> and I, I mean, but like the good thing is, is like I by that time I was like I was cool with it too and it was just like okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's my like minor uh, example, but it made a big deal. It was a big deal to me because I would get so like upset over something as small as being late, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's a very relatable thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not to say I'm like, oh, I'm late all the time now, but it's just like, you shouldn't beat yourself up over something. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? You don't need to beat yourself up. I know. Like, and maybe it's the self compassion is making me late to everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a very American thing to be to the minute. 
right, on yeah. time. <laughs> and once you realize that, then you're like, actually, I don't need to conform to that. Now, obviously, you don't want to be the person who's everyone's always waiting for. There yes, are things yeah. that it makes sense to be on time for, and things, you know, fashionably late is a thing. That's my self-compassion. For me, I feel like I've been rejecting self-compassion. Some, uh, I'm sorry. I've been rejecting self-compassion for a long, long time because it sounded like something that was so easy, like easy peasy lemon squeezy, but it's hard, hard, lemon hard. And (laughs) I think I haven't even gone like through the three pillars yet. Now, um, every time I'm having like a hard time, I think back to that thought exercise that we did at the beginning. Like I, I acknowledge that I'm nicer to other people than I am to myself. And I'm kind of stuck there. But I think that's huge project progress because at least like I'm acknowledging that yes I'm being a very mean person to myself um but eventually I guess I'll get to mindfulness and self-kindness and common humanity but yeah it's something that it's extremely hard but I think it's also extremely necessary and even that tiny thought exercise has like made a huge difference in like the way I view things or how I'm starting to be like oh okay like I can be that person that I am for others to myself so I guess that's kind of cool yeah I think recognizing it is probably the biggest hurdle because Mm -hmm. we get so connected to our thoughts and so I, I we identify with them so much that you actually can't see it like it's like when you see, you're looking at a quarter and you can only see one side of it at a time. <clears throat> we can't really see the other side without purposefully looking at it. Yeah, right. and I think there's this one thing I read from um, her website that was, uh, I think it said, we can't always get what we want and we can't always be who we want. And I remember I'd be like, oh, what do you mean? Like being the perfectionist <laughs> that I am. I'm like, right? that's a lie. I'm just not trying hard enough. Um, right. I'm just not, you know, putting in the work. I'm not putting in the hours that it needs. Like, I can get there. And it's just kind of like, I think the line under it, I think I wrote it down somewhere, said, um, when this reality is denied or resisted, resisted, suffering arises in the form of stress, frustration, and self-criticism. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I used to think being a perfect, I now relate to that because I thought like, oh, perfectionism, like, yeah, like that's making my anxiety great, you know, like that's like what life is all about. And then it is such a call out because it is like the perfectionist is, is what's causing you to feel shame all the time. Like the perfectionism is what's causing you to be anxious. Like no one else is holding you up to the standard that you're holding yourself up to. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a huge call out, but also like very, very freeing at the same time to realize like, wait a minute, like, why am I why am I the way that I am? (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I think for me, when I first started practicing it, one of the things that has been the most helpful for me for practicing self-compassion, as I mentioned, it came in right out of college. And in college, it's rough, especially doing all-nighters and writing papers. And I was very familiar with the thing of uh, procrastinating on my papers and thinking that I have it all together and I'm going to do great. And then it's 4 a.m. and I haven't written the paper. And I was like, I guess I need to drop out of school because I'm not good at this. Um, And getting to HCWC, the thing that helped me the most with practicing self-compassion is sharing it with other people. 
because then it helps me to not feel alone in it, which is, I think, Mm -hmm. kind of how I got into the place of doing as many workshops and presentations as I do now, uh, is to have the idea of sharing it with other people. Not only is it a verbal reminder, because I'm saying it to other people, Mm -hmm. but then I have more people who are actively trying to practice it around me and in my community, and then that makes me feel a little bit less alone, too. And one of the my favorite ones to do it is, uh, as Hema mentioned a little bit, is we do this with students. We did it a few weeks ago uh, with some middle school students at a number of different schools in our area. And we do it as with craft activities, which is one of my favorite things to do in general. <laughs> so if you add crafts with trying to be kinder to yourself, it made it a little bit more fun. So pair self-compassion with something that is more fun for you. Maybe it'll make it better for you to practice it. But the craft activities that we have are creating a glitter bottle or even like a almost like a lava lamp ocean bottle with water in it. Anything where you can, it has things suspended and water or oil and you shake it up and it gives you the opportunity to be mindful and just sit and watch those things settle. Because sometimes with mindfulness, it's hard especially if it comes in the form of like meditation. I know that that's something that's really tough for people and you don't really know how long you're supposed to do it for. And it's kind of hard to settle your thoughts if you're like constantly worried about, has it been 10 seconds? Has it been 30 seconds? Has it been a minute that I'm doing this? But with the mindfulness bottle, something that I found is very helpful is it gives you that moment in time to just watch something settle. And then once it settles, Mm -hmm. then you can move on. Um, if that's what you want to do. Or we've also uh, developed self-compassion mantras or affirmations and we wrote them on stones and we decorated them. So then you can keep them wherever you are, or like on your desk or next to your bed or in your bathroom. Or if you aren't uh, artistically inclined and you don't want to do that, you can even write self-compassion reminders on your mirror in your bathroom or wherever else you see it just as a constant visual reminder to try to practice self-compassion. So I've learned a lot in practicing it with other people. And it's also helped me to learn what other people's challenges have been with it. Um, I think one of y'all had mentioned about kind of with stress and anxiety and something I've heard some people say with self-compassion is it's been kind of tough for them to try to practice it with anxiety because anxiety or depression or whatever Mm -hmm. it could be can be an even louder voice in your head that's telling you Mm -hmm. that you deserve this or you can't be motivated or you can't accomplish it or this is your fault and trying to speak over that voice when your brain is literally your brain chemistry is what's telling you this can be kind of challenging. Um, but it can be very helpful too. It's not impossible. Yeah, me too. And it honestly, it helped a lot during the pandemic as well. Like there's a lot of, uh, especially I, I think coming out of the pandemic too, I kind of knew that there was going to be a lot of messaging, I guess in and out of it, of, you know, like causing like guilt and shame around like maybe like weight you've put on or like what you didn't accomplish because you were at home or like what you should have done and like all this, all these, you know, all this like messaging of like, you need to have this, you, like, you didn't start a hustle, like, while, while yeah, you're, right. yeah. you've um, got time you know, for like, hobbies. Yeah, like, and it's like, you know, it's okay if you just, like, we're watching, you know, we're just, like, watching the news and trying to be careful and, like, take care of yourself, like, during that time. Like, it's okay if, like, you were just surviving. Uh, it was a, you know, unprecedented event, and uh, it was traumatic, and it, and I think that, that I, having 
uh, or being familiar with the self-compassion practice and having that, like working for an agency that was like doing a lot of talk about self-compassion during that time, especially too, I found very, very helpful because I think that could be really easy to like get into that trap of like, oh, I should have, you know, like start, why didn't I start my, like, why didn't I do all this stuff? Like while I was at home and I couldn't do anything else. And it's like, that's not, it's unfair to even make that comparison considering all the things that were going on in the world at the time as well. Like you've never, it was historical and we've never experienced before. So it was really a good opportunity to like practice that kindness and be like, Hey, like, let's just like be kind. And it helped me also help my friends stop that uh, mindset when they would like get there and like, and me remind them like, Hey, just like be kind to yourself. Like, um, of course, easier said than done, but I definitely am grateful that I worked uh, or work at an agency that talks about self-compassion so much because I found that incredibly helpful over the last year and a half, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy that you bring that up and you were talking about the going through of like a collective trauma because mm-hmm. COVID, <laughs> besides the fact of having a lot of people around you get sick or even die is trauma and then to not to be able to do some of those things that you wouldn't be able to do. Having the practice of self-compassion, and I think it helps with where we work in the fact that we are taught a little bit more about what it means to experience trauma and how it affects your mm-hmm. brain and how it affects your body. I Something that I really struggled with during the pandemic was staying focused and staying motivated and being able to accomplish things at the same level that I was trying to before. And it was hard for me because I thought, well, I'm not physically out doing anything. I'm at home. I wake up and I don't even have to get dressed to go to work. So why am I struggling with this? Um, but I yeah. think the pieces of like mindfulness and common humanity, A, helped me to acknowledge how I was feeling. And then the additional knowledge that I had for my job about trauma is I'm having a trauma response and Other people have this experience too, and I'm going to show myself kindness in these moments, even though it's really frustrating. Because that's another thing. You can show yourself compassion, and it doesn't mean that you're happy about it. Um, It can be a very frustrating process, um, but it doesn't mean that it's not important. And that's really helped me of just being like, okay. And it's sort of my mantra that it's almost unofficial is like I'm having a human moment or I'm having a human experience of I'm not the first person experienced this and it's okay I'm just having a human moment and it'll be okay yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, yeah I think that's uh, that's also a, a like you said recognizing that oh yeah I'm actually just going through a traumatic experience and I, I can recognize that and not that you don't not that you use that to disassociate from that feeling you actually use it to mm-hmm. to allow yourself to feel it yeah and that allow and but to also recognize it and not be like oh my gosh am i am i sick do i have covid like i'm freaking right. out like that's <laughs> you know that's natural and and i think that it's also difficult when you know everyone goes through it differently you know and the, mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. recognizing it is it's okay like for example, like during COVID when some, you know, some people were like, oh, I'm, I'm thriving. This is, this is great. I, you know, I'm, you know, doing this and that. And like, I've, I've listened to different podcasts of different like creative people, like artists. And it's interesting to see like the breakdown of some artists, like during COVID, they, they're like, oh, I just produced like all this work. And then there's other artists who are like, I, I'm just trying to survive. And so 
it's you know it it's important to be able to to recognize that and to see that even if other people around you see, are seemingly doing doing fine it's not it's not saying anything about your character that you're dealing with it in a in a more difficult way which i think is such a great segue into the idea of like what self compassion is not because I know that sometimes whenever we introduce self-compassion out to the community or even in general spaces online where people talk about self-compassion, sometimes they make comparisons to other things like self-esteem. And you, I, Nathan, with you just talking about um, looking at other people and seeing what they're accomplishing and you not accomplishing the same thing. Um, self-compassion is not self-esteem, where self-esteem almost is kind of based in comparison um, and achievement and trying to boost yourself up to just keep going and achieving. And self-compassion can do that too. Um, But with self-esteem or it won't necessarily make you happier or means that you're going to accept yourself. Um, It's tied to that performance piece of trying to achieve um, and be better than somebody else. Not always, but sometimes it is. And self-compassion kind of is a reminder of you're worthy of just being who you are and being valued for who you are without what you can accomplish or what you can do for other people. And self-compassion is also not an excuse where some people see it as an excuse to not be motivated or improve to do better because people do use shame or negative talk so much to motivate themselves to accomplish things that they think, oh, that you can just be sad about how you're feeling and then not be motivated to do better. And that's not what self-compassion is about at all. The whole idea is you can still be motivated to do stuff. Just why do you have to be mean to yourself in the process? But just challenging. It challenges a lot of what people think motivation should look like or what it should It makes me think like. of like, sorry, but like, no. it makes me think of like parenting yourself. Because I'm one of those people who, uh, I, I guess before I had heard of this or, you know, had been introduced to the practice, I thought that like, it was an excuse to, to not be motivated. Like, I thought that like, in order to be motivated, like I had to be hard on myself. Like I was right. very much like tough love. But like, as a parent, I don't parent that way. So it's like, you know, and you know, you don't. People don't respond to uh, ins- you, you. You don't do better by insulting yourself. So it's like it's almost like not a good way to motivate. <laughs> it's also unlearning that that's like not a good way to motivate yourself because yeah. when you're kinder to yourself, you're actually more likely to do something good for yourself. Like if you do things through like because you love yourself and not because you hate yourself, you're more likely to do them and have. Uh, just a healthier experience while you're doing it, a healthier relationship with yourself while you're doing it. And, but that was definitely something I had, I learned when I discovered this practice because I thought like the only way to be motivated was through tough love. And this definitely has taught me a new way to motivate myself through kindness and through like, I don't know, you just, you don't have to yeah. shame yourself into doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. I think, and, that, and that's a good point about being difficult with yourself. I think that, Obviously, we do that for a reason because it does work. But when I when I was like thinking about this for this podcast, I was like, you know, coaches or whoever it is, like talk to yourself like in a way that's like mean. Like we know that 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 is motivating, and it yeah. it, it is motivating. However, I think that it's a short sighted approach to motivation because we don't think of the negative side effects of that 
in the long term. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the long term effects are when you go through something that is, you know, not as big of a deal, then you're still hard on yourself and you, you don't have the neural pathways set up to be kind to yourself. But when we're, mm-hmm. when we kind of slow down and we're, when we're uh, nice to ourselves, then in the long run, like, let's just say you have a goal and you're looking towards that goal and it may not be a goal for the day, but it's a goal for like five years. And if you're difficult with yourself about that long-term goal, you're going to burn out and you're going to quit it and you're not going to have the motivation. But if you're, if you slow down and you're, you're nice to yourself with that goal and, and, a you know, a goal is when you're going towards a big goal, there's all these little uh, pieces in between that are like hangups and there are chances to quit. Um, but when you're nice to yourself and you get, get to that hang up, self-compassion is a really good reminder of why you're doing it. And it's a really good way to say, okay, I failed at this piece, but look at everything that I've done. Look at my, yeah. like I'm going towards this goal for a reason. And it's just kind of a reset. It's, it allows you to reset and, it, and for me, that is actually motivating instead of unmotivating. Yeah, I agree with that. If you keep talking yourself negatively over time, also you're going to eventually believe it. Just like the way if you like continue to talk to a child negatively over time, they're going to believe it. Like someone might say something negative to you and you might think, oh, I'll show them. And it, and it might work, right? Like for a little bit. But yeah, in the long term, if it's if if you're the one telling yourself this negative thing over and over again, at some point that's going to turn into like you just believing the, the negative thought versus uh, like you said, Nathan, like being kind to yourself and getting through each struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, so we do self-compassion Sundays on social media. If you're not following us on social media, it's in the episode description, but follow us uh, on HCWC social media. And we do a little bit of self-compassion messaging on like our educational website, Stop the Hurts social media. But one of the posts that we just had was um, a post that says, if talking kindly to plants or speaking kindly to plants can help them grow. Imagine what speaking kindly to like others or yourself can do. And the, my first introduction to that kind of exercise uh, was when I first started doing this work and I was at uh, a school learning, almost being mentored by a counselor who's been doing this work for a very long time. And the whole idea was about kindness and compassion, but they had bags of rice sitting in water. And it was sort of to help students with frustration too. So it had a double um, purpose, but there was one bag where they would come in and just say really mean, terrible things to this bag of rice sitting in the water. Um, anything that they were feeling negative about themselves or other people, or they just were feeling motivated to say something negative that day, mm-hmm. that bag of rice was on the receiving end of those things. And then there was another bag of rice where they only said kind, supporting, encouraging, loving, caring things to this bag of rice. And I don't know if there was something that was added to these different bags of rice that I didn't know about. I don't know if there was just deception involved or if it was truly what happened. But in the one where they spoke negatively to this bag of rice, it got really moldy and gross pretty fast. And the other one didn't have any mold or anything growing in it. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, is this real? I was very skeptical of it. But whether if it was legitimately happen and organically happen that way or it didn't it still made for a good visual of Mm -hmm. um 
whatever you're introducing into this environment and you're nurturing it with adding more stuff to it or you're doing more behaviors that support the critical negative self-talk, you're just creating a breeding ground for toxic, like a toxic environment that is not set for you to thrive in at all. So I really like and appreciate that activity. And I think back to it a lot when I'm trying to think of the way that I'm changing the way that I talk to myself while I'm trying to be motivated is I want to continue being motivated and I want to have drive to accomplish things, but I want to create a healthy environment for me to do that. And positive self-talk or encouraging self-talk, maybe not even necessarily positive, but not critical self-talk is how I contribute to that positive environment. And maybe even branching out besides of that, uh, criticism can be healthy, but if it comes in a way of it's being really ugly and mean, um, kind of like brutal honesty. Um, something that I've heard recently is some people are like, this is just the way they am. I'm brutally honest, but some people are like, well, what about compassionate honesty or loving honesty or caring Mm. honesty? Mm -hmm. You can still accomplish these things without it having to come from a place that's really negative. Yeah. So I feel like it's something to think about and something to carry with you. As we think about what self-compassion is not and something that um, I think Hema had mentioned a little bit earlier, maybe it was Nathan, but as we were preparing for this episode, something that Hema had mentioned to us that was really sort of detached her from practicing self-compassion at first was that she thought it was aligned with toxic positivity. And I don't, I'll give you the space if you want to, Hema, to talk more about that. But I feel like that's something that other people definitely may think that self-compassion is, is that it's just an environment where you're just going to be positive all the time. Positive vibes only, and there's no room for <sighs> any other vibes. <laughs> yeah, I think um, back then, maybe like high school Hema thought that self-compassion was just toxic positivity. And I was like, how is me just being happy all the time? gonna help me how is this live love laugh poster in my room supposed to make me feel better like and I was just like no like I don't want it so uh that's what I thought self-compassion was especially social media there was a lot of like well um you might be going through this hard hard time but other people have it worse so yay you you're fine keep going or Mm -hmm. like this whole I don't know just these posts I I don't know maybe I I guess I wasn't the only one who thought self-compassion was toxic positivity because all of these accounts that I would follow or things that I would see uh, were mainly just like they were supposed to be these super powerful quotes that were supposed to get you through the day but in reality it was just kind of like suppressing your emotions and not actually being helpful at all which mm-hmm. just was just sucky because it just denied your overall experience of things and like what it's okay to be you know have a hard time and And it just kind of made it seem like you were a punching bag. And it's like, you're not a punching bag. Just because you can take a few hits or a million doesn't mean that you should. Like, you're human. Punching bags are meant to be punched. You're not Mm -hmm. supposed to. So, yeah, that that was what I used to think back then. I'm glad that now I'm doing a lot more research and that there's a lot more conversations about this, especially with um, our younger generation. But, Yeah. yeah. It makes me think of like the conversation around the difference between uh, like niceness and kindness and how and kind of like uh, Kiara, what you just talked to about um, the like loving honesty. It's like yeah. it, it kind of makes me think of that, like where 
it's not just like, oh, everything's great. It's no, I see that this is a struggle. And I think that's where um, maybe the the hesitation towards self-compassion people for people because it it might be like it might seem like it's tied up like, oh, yeah, like just be kind to yourself. Like it's positive vibes, but it's not because you really are recognizing like it, the human struggle, whereas, you know, toxic positivity is like, oh, just like go outside and you'll feel better. Whereas, you know, to me, at least self-compassion is more like, no, like it's a moment of struggle. Like it's okay to feel that struggle. Like it's okay to like recognize that this is hard. Self-compassion allows you to have the pity party. But, yeah. <laughs> right. And something that I've heard somebody else don't say overstay. was like, yeah, you can have the pity party. Just don't overstay your welcome. Don't be that person mm. that people are like, I'm going to bed. I want you to get out of my house. Like you can do that. You can have the pity party. And it sort of even encourages it encourages you to have it if you're not that person usually. So you can have the negative feelings. You can say, I failed at something um, without it being I'm a failure. I lost mm-hmm. something, but I'm not a loser. That you're having negative experiences or not accomplishing something doesn't have to become your identity. It's just an experience that you're having. And that can be pretty comforting for some people that you don't have to take this on and shoulder it and add it to your backpack of negative self-talk. And you don't necessarily have to like turn it around into a positive either. Yeah. Like I feel like there can be pressure that like, there can sometimes be pressure of like, we got to put a positive spin on it. Right. Like we got to like find the good in what just happened. And and I, and I, it kind of, it's relieving to like have that permission to just be like, you know what? It sucks. And that's okay. I'm still happy with myself. And like, or like, I'm still like, it's just, you know, like you don't have, you can be okay with not having a positive spin on it. And uh, yeah, just like a, just like a good friend. Like if you were like, you know, really sad, like a good friend might lay in bed with you and put their arm around you. It's kind of the same thing where it's just like, we're just going to, care we're going to care about you in this moment and get through it and if your friend is laying in bed with you and being like you're a a failure and a loser (laughs) and you're gonna be like get out (laughs) not 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 compassionate (laughs) exactly so if other people are saying it and yeah or if they're trying to silver line it for you right if they're trying to if they're trying to be like well what about the you know then that is also like not compassion either right toxic positivity yes uh so yeah and we don't want I, that. Oh, only realness. Yes. Here. Compassionate yeah. realness. I like that. <laughs> I My sort of the thought exercise when I think of that and who I picture in my head that I'm talking to is my cat. Um, because <laughs> I'm the nicest. It's not to say that I'm not kind to people because I am. But something about animals, like I step on her foot and I have the hardest time with that. <laughs> so I think, what would I say to her? Uh, if she was going through a really hard time and that really helps me frame it. And if sometimes if people can't identify with it, um, just starting with um, picturing that other person or that being or whoever, and just saying those things or writing them down um, is a start. That's even practicing self-compassion of, Hey, at least I'm hearing it and mirroring it back to myself. And I'll get to a point where I say it to me, but I'm going to figuratively say it to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I, I, tend to think of myself as a pretty positive person and I try and look at the positive things and I think when I first heard the term toxic positivity which was on social media I was like what no we can just be positive it's fine like and then 
<laughs> and also like and then with our work you know when we go talk to clients uh, or people who specifically who have been have gone through an abusive situation that's kind of when it hit home for me because I think my natural thing was to say oh you're going to be you're going to be okay this is going to be okay you're going to be fine but then when you actually look at the reality of the situation you I I was able to understand that that could actually be detrimental just to because it actually it's denying the experience and it's actually disassociating from the feelings and I understand that that is unhealthy I feel like um, toxic positivity comes up because it, it can be like super uncomfortable, especially if it's someone else expressing their feelings kind of like, oh, you know, I'm feeling like super sucky and you're just kind of you just kind of maybe don't know what to do or you're just trying to make them feel better. And it's just kind of like, well, don't worry, everything's going to be OK. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with feeling uncomfortable, you know, if maybe yeah. we can kind of like, I don't know, get used to people expressing what they're going through um maybe we wouldn't have to use like toxic positivity as much yeah and it's also a thing about we're we're naturally kind of wired to to have empathy for other people so i think part of it's also when you hear that someone's going through something really difficult you don't want to feel down yourself so we kind of try and boost them up in any way possible by just saying, oh, you're going to be fine, it'll be fine. Just like don't feel the de- the negativity because then I'm going to have to feel the negativity too. And so I think that is when, you know, you're probably not practicing self-compassion yourself. Right, which is something that is part of the practice that we have at HCWC. The idea is that if you show compassion to yourself, you're more likely to show it to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh Connecting to that empathy piece that Nathan was talking about, um, that maybe it goes hand in hand of if I'm mindful of how I'm feeling and I show myself compassion when I see this happening in somebody else, I will be more likely to be compassionate towards them. Or it's the reverse of this person is having an experience that I can relate with and I'm being very compassionate towards them and I deserve the same sort of compassion that I'm giving to them. Which is hard, but it's kind of like that nice um, memory or reminder of we just want to have a world that's more compassionate and more empathetic and more caring. And that starts with yourself, too, that when we're trying to connecting to that relationship piece of ending violence and abuse in our communities and in our relationships, uh, you're a person that you have a relationship with as well. And we want to foster healthier relationships with ourselves and self-compassion as a tool that we can use for that. Well, like how we've been talking about, um, there's a lot of benefits to practicing self-compassion. We mentioned how, you know, we would use like this sort of this Um, type of criticism or like this coach mentality to get motivated but you could also instead um, use self-compassion for motivation Um, if you just let's say you're having like a horrible time or at least for me like um, I have trouble with motivation because I'm just thinking about everything that could could possibly go wrong or things that I'm just like I could do wrong when I could just take some time, like not a lot, maybe like a few minutes and just be kind to myself or stop and think like, you know what, maybe things will go wrong, but that's okay. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I could be motivated that way. It can help um, decrease anxiety and stress for some people. 
Maybe because you're not feeling that anxiety and stress as much, you'll be a little bit happier. Maybe not. It's different for everyone. It might also help stop a lot of the shame spirals that we've been talking about. Um, but it's important to note that um, the way that you practice self-compassion is not a one-size-fits-all. You know, maybe what works for Kiara might not work for Megan and what works for Nathan might not work for me. So I remember... Um, when seeing posts about self-compassion, um, they would say that it was a journey and I would cringe at it. I'm like, that sounds like really cringy, but it's kind of true. It, it is sort of a journey, you know, um, it's kind of like going out shopping and picking for the right shoes, you know, like maybe you'll try yoga and it didn't work out for you. So next time you'll try journaling. So I guess just don't get discouraged because, I mean, it is a journey and eventually you'll get there. But like we've been talking about, it has a lot of benefits. So, you know, it's never um, too late to start practicing self-compassion in your life. You could show your self-compassion on your journey of practicing self-compassion. Yes. You don't have to be perfect at it. Yes. <laughs> self-compassion squared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, we've talked a lot of about all the ways that it is beneficial for yourself and for, you know, your your friends around you. But what we've also talked about, you know, at HCWC is the benefits that uh, self-compassion can have uh, at the community and societal level. For example, um, we tend to, as a society, think of grind culture with, with this idea that, yeah, if you just keep grinding, then... You're going to get everything that you want and you're going to be successful. However, we also understand that that grind culture can be uh, detrimental to to us at the society level because it doesn't give us the time to be mindful. It doesn't give us the time to think uh, about others and have the, the empathy for others who maybe not have maybe don't have the same uh, abilities as you as you right right and, and that grind culture makes us like shame rest right like we're yeah. not like if you're not producing then you're not worthy like if you're not like i feel like and y'all are millennials so y'all might relate too like it's like we're expected to have a side hustle or if we have a hobby it needs to like make us money like we we always need to be like doing something to like produce Mm-hmm. and uh it's this it, and it is it's that grind culture that makes us feel that way or like makes us think that like we, you know like we're all tied up in like what we produce we're tied up into what we make but what the reality is and which i love about self-compassion is it it really breaks down that idea and it's like no because you're a human here on this earth like you are worthy because you're a human here you deserve compassion like there's no prerequisite for worthiness uh it's with not self-compassion. about what you can produce or what you can give to other people it's you're worthy just as you are i feel like it's also some kind of race to see who's more in tune with like with themselves and who's more like compassionate or whatever i don't know if i'm making sense but i've seen it a lot on social media where it's just kind of like i don't know maybe posts that are mainly just calling you out it's kind of like uh, well, what have you been doing to better your health and better your mental health yeah. and better this? And it's so we're like <laughs> marketing it's like, I self-care. Took, yes. <laughs> it's like, I took this trip over here. What have you been doing? <laughs> so I, I just think it's funny how in a way it's great that we're having like, like 
these conversations about self-compassion and like that now it's a lot more common to see it everywhere but I've also seen it like turn into a way I guess now there's going to be like a toxic (laughs) self-compassion so just watch out (laughs) yeah or like caring yeah like there's a competition in caring for yourself of I got outside or I'm drinking the green smoothie and I'm going on walks and things that are all beneficial and sometimes self-compassion for me looks like I had a hard day so I'm sitting in front of Netflix all weekend or I'm not texting anybody back um, because I'm just, that's what I need right now. Um, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, self-compassion is really challenging that mindset. And also, like you said, on, on social media, I have been seeing more uh, more real kind of posts or people being more honest with themselves. And that's challenging the social the social norms of, Um, that everything is great and everything, you know, this is only my best side that I'm going to show. People are more open to showing their, their, their true self, which I think is Mm -hmm. really important to show that, especially towards younger people who aren't able to necessarily identify when, when a, a social media influencer or just someone they know is only showing the, the best parts of their life. Yeah, I do think people are starting to get more notoriety for being authentic online versus like that polished image. And I and maybe that is contributed to people uh, just wanting that. I mean, I think it people want realness, you know, like I think the last year, especially maybe people like want, crave realness more than ever uh, and authentic interactions with people more than ever. But I think that that's also what makes self-compassion or and compassion in general, like such a like catalyst for social change, because mm-hmm. it it's to get us away from those like individual ideas. So like, I do think like when we're like, Oh, or like, here's my self care and we're, and we're, you know, posting it, uh, it can be, it could be a good thing and it, you know, can be encouraging to others, but also look at like the reasons behind those actions. Like, is it still just based off of like individual, like individualism and like caring only about yourself or like, or are we, are we looking at compassion as something that the community benefits from? Because to me, like, when you're thinking of like the steps of self-compassion and thinking of like common humanity, it's like bringing people together. It's, it's uh being with each other versus, um, you know, when we're just focusing on the individual or just focusing on, you know, mm-hmm. self-care and self-esteem, that's all about individual. It's all about like myself, whereas self-compassion is like how I relate to others uh, in the world, like, like as humans. Yeah. I think of when y'all were talking about social media in terms of self-compassion and you, Megan, talking about connection, I think of the vulnerability it takes to show your Mm self-compassion or even to be honest on social media and a moment of compassion for yourself or and other people, that that vulnerability can be really scary because you're handing Mm -hmm. over information and you don't know what somebody else is going to give back to you. And you don't know if it's going to come in the form of criticism or self-judgment. And maybe that's sometimes why we motivate ourselves with that, because we think that that's what other people are going to give to us. And we want to be ahead of the really difficult experience of getting criticism or self-judgment but I think of how vulnerability is one of the key pieces to building connection meaningful connections with other people Mm -hmm. and that's hard Um, especially when we're talking about trying to like drive social change Um, you're stepping outside of a norm and usually social change work can be hard and uncomfortable and trying to do it on an individual level that's coming from with inside yourself as well it's 
tough as, as a part of that community change because it's not necessarily just I'm doing this outside of myself for other people. I have to do this with inside of myself too, not only for myself, but for the to contribute to the overall health of the community that when we're healthier individuals, we also are contributing to the overall health of the community when we're sharing these norms within the community of you don't have to use the critical self-talk to motivate yourself or whatever you can. But if we are more to go out and tell people it would, it's okay if you're compassionate towards yourself. Some people may not be receptive to that. Um, and that is social change work is to try to change that idea in your community. It's not easy. Definitely. And it's vulnerable. Like if you're trying to make those, uh, if you're, you know, we all live in the society that we're trying to change. And so it's still very much aside, like inside of us, like things that we're trying to, you know, change like, or, you know, look at things differently without self-compassion or without, you know, trying to be an activist, but also trying to hold on to some degree of perfectionism is going to disable you in being able to make change. Because I think that you're, when you make mistakes, it's going to like shut you down versus embracing those mistakes to do better. Like it makes me think of a, like I, I belong to a roller derby uh, group and we've talked about, you know, we've had some members change gender identities in the last year. And we've talked about like, you know, what if we accidentally say the wrong, you know, pronoun or whatever. And then we've gotten into these like very like deep conversation. And I think Yara, you were there, like we've gotten into these very deep yeah. conversations and it's like, Hey, like the shame spiral's not making the situation any better. Like we yeah. need to recognize that like, sometimes we're going to say the wrong thing and like, that's okay. And we're just going to like, you know, ask for forgiveness and move on. Like we got to like keep going. Cause if we're just sitting here thinking bad about ourselves, we're centering ourselves in a movement based off of like our own unco uncomfortableness, which is pulling away from the, from the idea of like what we're actually trying to change. Right. Yeah. Like, we're, like I'm focusing so much on like, Oh, my mistake versus like, like the benefit of like society. Yeah. <laughs> right. Know? There's benefit in trying, even if you fail or make a mistake than to worry about, I'm going to do or say the wrong thing, so I'm not going to try at all. And that's a very human exactly. experience and feeling to have, right? Nobody wants to get called out, especially in a time of cancel culture, either on the internet mm -hmm. and in person. We are realistically in a time where sometimes people see it as if you say the wrong thing, then that must mean that you're a bad person, face value, and not that you've mm -hmm. made a mistake or there's room for growth there. Um, so I don't want to minimize from what I'm saying, that that's a very vulnerable and hard thing to do. But as Megan said, I think it is very important to not let it prevent you from keeping sight on the goal of trying to right. create really important change. Yeah. And I think that when you when you uh, have conversations, like you were saying, Megan, with your group about what if we do, what if we make this mistake? I think having those conversations are so important, like just opening up the mm -hmm. dialogue so it's not this like elephant in the room. And also when we frame conversations with the idea of self-compassion, then we've we've mm -hmm. already set the intention to think that if something does happen that that we're not all okay with, we're going to first remember that we're practicing self-compassion yeah, and then right. yeah then we can address it with a level head we're not just going from emotion we're not going from you know preconceived notions or or anything like that it's it's just it's just a healthier way of dealing with with people that are different than you very true yeah. creating a compassionate environment can foster yeah. self-compassion yeah
Absolutely. And change. Like, I mean, people are more likely to, you know, do better and, and uh, change behavior when it's done in a compassionate way versus a, uh, I mean, when people feel called out, that's an isolating feeling, right? So yeah. like when we, when we talk to people with compassion, uh, what did you say? Your compassionate honesty, uh, we're pulling people in and we're driving connection, which is more likely to create social change than making people feel isolated and not a part of the community. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, I will have to say, I wish I had learned this practice or I don't know if it existed, but I wish I knew about this practice when I was in middle school yes. <laughs> or when I was, when I really could have needed it, we could have really used, um, a break in the shame spirals. Cause I think that that's something that, um, you know, Kiara, you mentioned earlier that we do work with youth, uh, middle school and high school with, uh, trying to teach them how to practice self-compassion and the benefit, I mean, middle schoolers can shame spiral, like no, no one else, at least I could, like, I definitely could have when I was in middle school. And I think just having someone talk to me about it and call it for what, you know, call it out for what it is and like being mindful of stopping that in its tracks would have benefited me greatly. Um, and that's something that we see in the youth that we work with today is that they they really do like talking about this. And it's uh, when I've done um, some self-compassion meditations with uh, the youth that I work with, they've been they're just like, wow, like you can kind of see the light bulb moment where they realize like, wow, I do talk to my friends so much more uh, with so much more compassion than I talk to myself and the benefit, you know, the benefits of teaching this to youth, I think would be, would be life-changing. It would be life-changing for humanity. <laughs> that yeah. <makes> Especially <laughs> you're introducing a norm and a practice in a time where they're developing who they are. So we teach them things in school because it's a life skill that we want them to have right. going forward. And if we can introduce them being kinder to themselves, it's only going to benefit them. Yeah. And on the society level too, I think that youth are very interested in social change. They're interested in Mm -hmm. all these forms of activism that we weren't really as, not to say we weren't interested in them. It just wasn't part of the the culture when, when we were at that age. And so I think that we have to outfit them with the tools that they, that they need to go about that, um, with a with a level head and to understand that you're not always going to get what you want the first time you know and you have to be able to be okay with yourself or you know we don't want our youth to uh to burn out by the time they're 18 19 years old and just say it's not worth it Mm -hmm. because there's a lot to to go up against with with all forms of social change because you're changing the society of people who are you know grew up in a different time they grew up with different uh, uh, understanding different rules, different culture, and and uh, you know that's what you're up against, and you're not always going to be successful. And they live in a time where the we're millennials, except Hema's Gen Z, and uh, after to one of the first generations, not us, because we sort of got onto the internet in middle school and high school, right. but <laughs> to have a generation where the they don't. The internet has existed for their entire existence. So it helps you to be connected and to get more information, but it also just makes you really aware of what's Mm -hmm. going on around you. And that's really hard to see so much going on um, 
in your communities and in the world and to know that it's impacting you and you want to be motivated to do something about it. And the, the reality is sometimes it's also motive. It's overwhelming to try to do something mm-hmm. about all the things all the time. And then when you get on the internet and or social media and you have people telling you like, if you're not saying something, then you don't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard too. Um, that there's, the compassion for trying to change the human condition sometimes overshadows the compassion of what it means to have a human experience as an individual who may be struggling in some way to keep being motivated to move forward. And that's something for any age, not just youth who have access to the internet 24-7. Yeah, it's tough. Social change work is hard and self-compassion has been really helpful in mm-hmm. doing that too. Yeah, for sure. I was just like thinking about what you said and I think you just summed up my whole experience of a Gen Z or on the internet, you know, all of that information just (laughs) can be overwhelming, but I'm, I'm hopeful and the youth are going to change the world. I know it. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. with that said, um, when you heal and flourish and thrive, your community is also flourishing and healing and thriving with you. So here is our prevention and action tip for this episode. Um, talk to others about self-compassion. Anyone can benefit from this information. Come up with a self-compassion ma- mantra. And maybe if you listened all the way till this point in this episode, <laughs> go ahead and, and discuss what you learned with anyone. Friends, family, students, anyone around you. Maybe share it on social media. But just remember um, to be compassionate to yourself. Um, it's hard. It really is really hard out there, but we appreciate that you're here. Um, but with that being said, um, speak up. Speak out. And be outspoken. Be outspoken.